Welcome to the Black, White, and Blue podcast series. I'm Sergeant Tara Gerhard with the Public Affairs Bureau for the Fairfax County Police Department. I am joined today by Captain Daryl Nichols, who holds a special position in our department as his full-time job is to develop and implement a culture of equity across everything that we do. From hiring to our operating policies to the way we safeguard our communities, ensuring equitable opportunity regardless of race, color, sex, nationality, sexual orientation, religion, disability, or income is paramount to our mission to prevent and fight crime across Fairfax County. Captain Nichols, welcome. Thank you, Tara. Absolutely. Before we dive into some deep questions here today, I'd like you to tell us a little bit about yourself and why you chose to join the Fairfax County Police Department. Okay. I'm like most people in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. I'm not from here. I came here to go to school, and um, I've come from a family of law enforcement officers. I didn't think about becoming a law enforcement officer while I was in college. I think I switched my major, I know I switched my major midway, and I began to take administration of justice classes. And I was still on the fence about law enforcement. Even though I grew up around police officers and I have them in my family, I was not sold on it. You know, we had a family business and I didn't want to get dirty because of the business we had, it was a masonry business, and I just said, I don't want to get dirty. I want to be a business person. So I switched, and I realized wearing a uniform was something that I wanted to do. And I then began to select a career in law enforcement, and that's why I'm here now. I didn't know anything about Fairfax County. I heard they were advertising on the radio. Um, It said that Fairfax County was looking for minority police officers. Please apply at the Martin Luther King Library. And I went in and filled out an application, and everything went like clockwork, and here I am today. Wow, that's pretty awesome. Thank you. So who in your family was a police officer? I have uh, two uncles. One uh, had to medically retire because of an injury in the line of duty. Actually, he was shot in the line of duty, and he's still doing He's doing well today. He's medically wow. retired. Another who made it as high as a chief, and um, he's currently the police chief in Jacksonville, Florida, of the school system. That's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. My dad is actually um, retired with 44 years in law enforcement and um, I believe about 30 as chief. Oh, wow. So we come from a a, a line of officers as well. Absolutely. (laughs) All right, great. So tell us a little bit about the role you play in One Fairfax and its mission and why this is such a critical part to Fairfax County. Okay, to answer that question first, um, the the, the mission of One Fairfax – is racial and social equity resolution. It was um, passed in 2016 and passed again in 2017 by the Board of Supervisors. And that policy commits the county and schools to intentionally consider equity. We make our policies when we plan and when we deliver our programs and services throughout the community. So my role um, is still being realized with our agency. Um, I will assist the departments in eliminating as best as we can historical, um, systemic, and structured patterns that adversely affect members of the department, put together the ambassadors um, who will go out and have those difficult conversations. And what we did with the ambassadors, we tried to make sure that they were um, divided as close to 50-50 with men and women. And we looked at, we were intentional with what we did in terms of race, gender, um, ethnicity, and visible and hidden diversities to make sure we had a good mix of people to help us with 
the rollout of the policy so when we have discussions that I can't have or the equity leaders can't have, the ambassadors will be those persons to help us um, have those difficult conversations. And so are those ambassadors to go out to, you know, different squads or like where where do they try to have these conversations and like what's that avenue? Some of them will be just informal, maybe over lunch, maybe over a phone, um, in roll calls or uh, during training. Um, we want to train them uh, to the point where we're going to look at our training curriculum at the training academy and they're going to help us develop a 21st century innovative training to make sure that we implement that into our recruits when they come to the academy so they can be begin to have discussions in the academy about implicit bias, procedural justice, and trust building. Those difficult things um, that we run into as police officers, we want to plant the seed day one to get them to understand this is where we're going as an agency. No, and that's great starting early on. Um, so when, when has that began? Like when did those ambassadors start doing this through the police academy moving forward? Well, they won't start until they receive their training. We secured funding for two levels of training. First, Cultures Connecting. That training is out with the company out of Washington. They're going to teach the ambassadors how to have difficult conversations. They're going to have frank discussions about race and gender, gender equality, gender differences, and those things that seem to make persons uncomfortable. Once they finish that training, we've hired a subject matter expert to come in and, and train the ambassadors on implicit bias, procedural justice, and trust building internally as well as externally because we're trying to move the narrative forward and stay ahead of um, the national reform that's out there right now. So once they're done with that training, they will receive additional training through One Fairfax, and that will build in them the tools and skills needed to help us with the policy rollout. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. And so are these officers selected from line level through command staff? Like, what's the range of, they're, of ambassadors? They're frontline officers as well as um, and, and commanders. Um, civilian directors and civilian staff. We try to get a, a the, we try to have the gamut of everybody at all levels to make sure that we are able to connect with everybody when we begin to talk about um, the implicit bias and procedural justice and trust building because that's the what and the why is because of House Bill 5109 goes into effect March 1st and we want to begin to do that training but they need to be trained first before we begin to train our other critical areas within the agency and the entire police department staff. So that's amazing that One Fairfax is bringing in not just the police officers, but this is going through all agencies across the county that are going to be members and, and try to bring this countywide, right? Yes, absolutely. There are 52 county agencies, and the One Fairfax policy is not just the police department. It is all um, of the 52 agencies. We all worked on um, we all work on the One Fairfax policy and implementing it into everything that we do, all of our businesses, all of our practices, and how we engage each other, how we do cross-agency um, training and helping each other, and how we engage our community members. No, that's that's amazing. Just thinking how big this is. And, it is very big. And how, uh, how much of a heavy lift that is for you and, and the dedication that that takes and the time that it takes from you. So, wow, that's mm -hmm. incredible. Mm -hmm. It is. <laughs> it is. A, it is a lot. And um, one of the things um, I remember when Colonel Lee brought it to my attention back in May of 2019, 
And he said that, Daryl, I'm an equity lead. I would like for you to be an equity lead. And what I recall about the one Fairfax policy, I remember reading about it in early to late 2018 into 19, and I thought, what a novel idea. And I realized that I was doing some of that equity work myself, and I began to read what it was about. And I realized one Fairfax was putting it into words and into compartments. And when Colonel Lee sat me down and told me what he wanted me to do, I remember looking at the sky and said, you want me to climb that hill where I'm going to talk about race, equity, and gender, and gender equality, and other things? He said, yes. I said, that's a steep climb, and this will be a heavy lift. And as I began to go through the training with One Fairfax, I began to realize that Colonel Lee and myself, we can't lift it. And it was never intended for just two people. We had to build a team of ambassadors, equity ambassadors, to help us with that lift so we can lift it and, and implement it with the uh, agency. No, absolutely. And and being that you are a captain, how do you think your roles on the police department getting you to this point are going to play, you know, in with experience as you move forward with One Fairfax? I think my role when I was the assistant commander with the Personnel Resources Division, I remember sitting down with Major Bennett and he laying out in front of me what he wanted and how we had to change based on PERF, CALEA, and the ad hoc recommendations and looking at best practices. And I remember going through trying to implement that, and we made some strides in terms of implementing what the ad hoc commission wanted and what CLIA and Vilepsi and others said, IACP, this, these are the best practices. This is what you should do. But I realized that we were losing in some areas in terms of what we were trying to do because of some things that we had to work out. And it didn't really dawn on me until we began to talk about biases and implicit biases. And I think that was one of the most challenging things that I had to convey to my staff that it's okay to have biases. It's not, it doesn't make you a bad person, that we all have biases and that's how we navigate through life. But how do we train our staff to get them to see that they have biases in their thinking and how do we move around those biases because they don't disappear, but how do we get around them? And do the best job and offer the best service to our future employees, sworn and non-sworn, as they come into the county government. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. I'm sure everybody has some type of bias in their life. You just have to kind of own it and, yes. and recognize it. And when you have the opportunity, you know, try to make your way around it and, and work together. So Absolutely. No, Absolutely. That's, that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. That's definitely a heavy lift. I'm, I'm very impressed and... I can only imagine how overwhelming that can be for you. Some sleepless nights, yes, <laughs> yes, because it's, it's so much, and, and sometimes the message can be taken in the wrong direction. So one of the things I would often say to Colonel Lee, when we roll this out, we have to be very intentional, very methodical, and very careful, because anytime you start talking about bias, you're going to make a person uncomfortable. No one wants to be called, and I need to say this only for context, no one wants to be called a racist, and that's what we're not trying to do. We're trying to say you can have a bias and not be racist and just understand that we're going to train you to recognize those things and how do we move forward because we're not in it to change a person's um, political views, their religious views, or their worldviews. Just open your mind and understand that we're just trying to move the narrative forward 
and we're trying to say everyone has biases in them, and we're trying to say how do we get around them? Let's continue the work that the Diversity Council wanted us to do, that the Ad Hoc Commission, Commission recommended that we do, so that we can move the narrative forward, and that's what it's really about. Definitely. Mm-hmm. So talking about biases and, and different things that and inequality and, and racial injustice, if you will, um, and different challenges, you recently did a podcast with uh, one of our former officers. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure, sure. First of all, I want to clarify uh, a term. When you talk about inequality versus equity, inequality, you're, you're basically or um, sameness. Equity is fairness. And what one Fairfax will teach is that we're not talking about sameness, we're talking about fairness. So going into um, black history, you know, black history is a time when the country celebrates and commemorate the accomplishments of African-Americans um, who um, need to be recognized and how they contributed to the American culture. So that led me to go back to the first um, African-American female we hired back in 1972, Gert Thompson. She, um, during that podcast, she talked about her experiences um, with the police department as a recruit in the academy and her days on the street. I think it's very insightful and very inspirational, and it's out there now on video on demand and on um, iTunes. Awesome. So everybody can take a look at it yes. and, and listen in and learn how where mm-hmm. we were mm-hmm. and how far we've come at the same time. Yes, and part of what she did, she spoke to women then, women now, and women in the future. And she gave that message based on her experiences as a black female in law enforcement. And she talked to all women. And um, she just shared her story, a very, very inspirational story. Some of it um, is eye-opening, but at the same time, you know, she just told her story. Right. No, definitely. And I Mm -hmm. listened to it, and it's definitely eye-opening, but it also helps uh, learn. And moving forward, you know, having those difficult conversations, having that experience, even just from hearing from her side, to me, is beneficial. And when you deal and talk to other community members and Mm -hmm. even other members of our agency. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So most definitely. Absolutely. We're talking about how, you know, we're working hard to make sure that the Fairfax County Police Department is diverse with recruiting, with hiring, with making sure, you know, that we have uh, a department that mirrors our community. Can we talk a little bit about that and how our agency is trying to do that? Sure. We made some some very good strides over the past three years, implementing um, some change in our policies in in terms of looking at how IACP and PERF said, you know, this crisis that we're facing is not unique to Fairfax County. When you look at it from the federal, state, and local levels, PERF and IACP said every agency is going through this crisis of low numbers in terms of applicants applying for the police department and even lower numbers when it comes to Um, diverse applicants, women and men. So what we did, we were very intentional in terms of what we did and are doing right now in our recruiting section. We targeted all women's schools. We targeted, um, through our social media um, campaigns, women. We targeted um, minorities. We targeted um, specific minorities based on ethnicities within certain groups to make sure that we try to mirror um, the, the public who we serve. It is not easy. We've made some strides, and we have to continue to press forward. And m- everything that we do it is recommended through 
best practices, um, the PERF, ICP, the Diversity Council, um, and the Communities of Trust. So we've talked with those co-production teams, and we said this is what we can do to move the narrative forward. We made some strides, but we have many more to make. We have to continue the efforts that we started three years ago and press even further to make sure we bring in that diversity um, to make sure we mirror the public we serve. Now, you can't talk about recruiting without talking about retention. And one of the things that we we have here with our agency, we have a great mentoring program that was started many years ago. But I think it's time that we look at it and we may want to tweak it. We're getting in um, very different applicants, not in a bad way, but in a, in a good way. And we want to look at how we are mentoring them at the very beginning. Traditionally, police work is very traditional and hierarchical in, in, in terms of how we do things. I think we need to engage those young officers, those women and men and applicants of color, recruits of color, differently than, say, wait your turn. We may want to engage them and get them involved early on in terms of identifying those who can and want to and get them to training and skills to get them to certain levels earlier on in their careers than waiting three to five to seven years. Because one thing we know with women and, and, and um, applicants of color is that other agencies see their quality too. And if we don't engage them early on and get them involved in our processes, then we lose them. And that, that takes me back to when I was a sergeant. I had a, uh, a deputy chief. Um, Lieutenant Colonel Sellers, and if he's listening, I would love to interview him. He took me around and shared with me so many things about how we are seeing it the wrong way. I remember when he brought me on a ride and showed me our new police headquarters, and he said, Daryl, that's where we're going to have our new headquarters. And I looked over and said, that's a baseball field. What are you talking about? He said, no, we're going we're gonna to put a headquarters over there. And he said, Daryl, you're going to have an office over there one day too. And I was like, oh, man, what are you talking about? I'm not going to be over there. And he began to show me how to, you know, deals are made and how you move things and how we have to think differently. And I think the same thing with our mentoring program. We have to identify those young people, put them on our wings. I'm talking about command staff and show them how it works. You can't be it if you don't see it. And if we show them how to do it, then they will do it. And he showed me that. And when the building opened in 2017, a month later, I had an office up there. And I want to thank him personally by doing an interview to talk about that so that I can help others move forward um, in the agency. So we're going to work on that. Um, I asked to be on a committee to help work on and redo our mentoring program. I think we need to mentor them even closer in, in, in the academy to make sure we don't lose them, even during the FTI period and even more so once they get on the squad. We need to definitely come up with a program where we can touch them at least once or twice a month, maybe even more than that, because they're very different applicants than they were years ago. They're not into sucking it up. They want to talk about it, and we have to do a better job of talking about it and getting them deep into our culture within the police department. And that makes sense. Somebody mm -hmm. outside of their squad, somebody outside of their FTI that they can connect with and, and have those difficult conversations that they've known for a little while longer 
than just, you know, third day in training and you're not quite sure who, who you're dealing with yet. So absolutely. No, that that makes perfect sense. Absolutely. absolutely. No, I've, I've been a mentor for a long time and mm-hmm. I've really enjoyed the program and I've mm-hmm. stayed connected with almost all of my mentees. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I can definitely appreciate and I see the value in making sure you're constantly checking in with them. And but taking it even further beyond, I think, would be super helpful. Yes. Yeah. I right now I mentor um, about 40 on the agency and they're black and white. And I, I give them the same conversations I receive from Colonel Sellers. I always project, you know, two ranks above where they are right now. And I give them that vision. And I talk about mental health and breaking the stigma of seeing um, a therapist. I talk about financial stewardship. And I've and once I get to know them, I tell them, I think your strengths or your natural gifts are right here. You may want to take these classes to make sure you reach that, that full potential. And so I'm constantly talking with them. I was talking with four of them this morning by text. It can be tough sometimes. But I give that time to them because somebody gave it to me to get me to where I am right now. No, and that, that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. And that's a that's a great line of thinking, even moving forward with the mentor program and making sure you're getting the right people to help mm-hmm. that retention. Absolutely. And, and help grow our department in yes. a beneficial way. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Mm-hmm. So... We're talking about diversity. How have we addressed the issue of race and diversity uh, internally? Well, I think we have not openly addressed it. I think we're trying. Uh, But I think the ambassadors will help us move the needle in ways that we haven't moved them before. And you have to look at our diversity scorecard and realize that we're trying, but it is not enough. We have to go further And one thing I've learned with working with one Fairfax, we have to be very intentional in what we say and what we do, not in a malicious way, but in a helpful way. So I think we're we're making some strides. We can do more, just like I just talked about. Steve Sellers, he didn't look like me. Um, But he mentored me through his heart. And when you do cross-cultural mentoring, people see that, and they know if you're coming from the heart. An example of that is when I mentored at at the elementary school level, um, I wanted to mentor a young kid who was white. He single mother home, he was struggling, and I went to the mentoring coordinator and said, hey, can I mentor this kid here? Because he gave me that look. Every day I came into the school to mentor my mentee, he gave me a look, and I said, you know, I want to mentor this kid. She said, no, Daryl, the greatest need is here. But I said to her, I said, I know that if you mentor from the heart and have a person's good will at hand, they can see that. And I tried my best to mentor that kid. And she wouldn't give that kid to me. But And I'm saying the same thing about our command staff and our leaders on the department. You, We have to get into cross-cultural mentoring and get into who they are and understand who they are and understand they're very different than you. They may think about it differently, and it's not a bad thing. It's just that their life and their roads have taught them something different. And to try to get to understand that and get them immersed into the culture. And I think we can make great strides and not lose our applicants after one year, after two years, after three years. And they'll stick around and make Fairfax County a home for 20 to 25 to 30 years. No, and that makes perfect sense. And even with that, you know, cross-culture mentoring that you were talking about, just learning about different cultures and in the ways of, you know, 
somebody else like you may do things at your home very differently. And when I go on a call for service, that can benefit the community if I interact with somebody similar, having that prior knowledge saying, oh, I remember that one time we talked about this. So moving forward, that can even help, you know, just from outside the department into the community. Absolutely. It helps um, when we're out in the community and we're engaged in the community and they see a force that looks similar to them. It makes a difference. It breaks down some of the barriers, some of the walls, and it will stop and break some of the stereotypes that you don't like me because. And no, that's not true. And it'll foster conversations because, you know, we like what we like, but and there are a lot of people who like the police regardless of who they look like. But I think it'll help us move forward if we continue to move in the direction that we're moving in. And that's why when I was in PRD, and I know they're still doing it now, you know, we talked about recruiting Fairfax first was our campaign. And when I said that, I, was, I would constantly say, when I say Fairfax, I'm talking Prince William, I'm talking Loudoun, I'm talking Arlington, Alexandria, Montgomery County, D.C., Prince George's, and Charles County. Because most of us live outside of the county, but it's not a hard sell to recruit somebody from those areas. It's only a 30, 35-minute ride to work. And that's that, that would increase our pool of applicants, and then we can still mirror in the future the county we serve here in Fairfax County. No, that, that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. So if you had the opportunity, you know, to talk to somebody who was getting ready to consider a career with our department, using knowing your position and how far you've come, you know, what words of wisdom or advice would you give to them? I would say make sure that you're serious about the career. Um, and becoming a law enforcement officer is not just a job, almost like the military slogan. It's truly a lifestyle. And that's one of the things I talk to my mentees about is that you will lose some people who you considered your friend at one point. There are some conversations that you can't get involved in, and that's because we live a lifestyle. It governs our lifestyle. It is a great, rewarding career. We've had people who retire from here who are millionaires when they leave here. Um, You will live a middle-class lifestyle, and you'll make a difference in the community if you adhere to the rules and regulations of the agency and you can find your niche within the agency and your skills can show themselves. And I would say, hey, this is a great career. We want you on our team. You know what you want to see the police and how they should engage the community. You can do that here. You can sit down at a table. We want to give you voice through our procedural justice um, initiatives we're moving forward. So you can come to the table and talk about what you think may help us move the needle forward and bring those ideas to the table because truly our diversity is our strength. And you can come in, and and, and this is a great job. It is not for everybody, but those of us who are here, it's a tough job. There are ups and downs about the job, and things that we do sometimes, we're tied to the national narrative. And it feels bad, but we're not immune. You know, we're the 32nd largest police department in the country. We're 20 miles away from D.C. So what happens nationally They have to understand that we're going to fill it here in the way the public views us, but we also have a large group of the public who may not see us that way. But what we want to do, we want to work on that part of the public where we've not also done well with them and to bring them on board and build that trust with them. And that's what I would tell them. I said, it is a process. It is not a quick snap finger kind of thing. It is a process. And if you want to be part of that process, this is the agency for you. Absolutely. Anybody can come in here with the right Mm -hmm. mindset and the right attitude and and help make a difference in our community. Absolutely. 
Is there anything else you'd like to talk about? No, I think that's that's it. I just want to say that, um, you know, this summer when we heard about um, reform, 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 fortunately, um, we were ahead of the curve. We had done some things starting in 2013. So when I saw a lot of the narratives about reform, I realized that we were 90% done with a lot of those things that the public demanded that we do. And we're still doing that right now. We have a human relations policy that will directly address biases. Um, and we're going to train to that. We're going to train to implicit bias. We're going to train to procedural justice and trust building internally and externally. You know, we're doing a good job with ex external de-escalation, but we're going to talk about that from an internal perspective. So Fairfax County has always been ahead of the curve. I know we're leading the state in terms of what we're doing. And I think and I know for sure that when we roll out that human relations policy, IACP and PERF and others will soon adopt that as part of their policies going forward. Wow. And that would be amazing to see our policies leading the way Absolutely. for larger organizations and even potentially across the country. Absolutely. Because we did that with our community. We put together a co-production team of brick and mortar persons, academic persons, faith um, persons. Um, some of our uh, community stakeholders like the NAACP and others, and they came in and told us what that policy should look like. We also work with DOJ and the county attorney. So we think we have a good policy. It is not a perfect policy. It is something that maybe next year this time there's something in it that we have to change because something has changed in society and the way society sees things. But it's a good policy going forward, and it shows transparency. And that's definitely important to our community, and we, we are well aware of that. Mm -hmm. So. Captain Nichols, I wanted to take a moment and thank you for your time and your dedication to this position, to ensuring that we are serving our community at our best and, and mirroring that image of our community as well. Your your dedication to your position with One Fairfax and the county as a whole, you know, I'm sure our community, as we are as an agency, are very grateful for that. Thank you very much, Tara. Absolutely. And we look forward to doing more podcasts here with you on the Black, White, and Blue podcast series. Absolutely. All right.